Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show. Today's show is the United States in cultural disintegration. I came across a great article in the Post Millennial a few weeks ago uh, about a panel that my friend Jack Posobiec was on in Kenosha, Wisconsin, run by a group called Myth Informed uh, for a Better Discourse, Panel for a Better Discourse. And, uh, the uh, uh, the political radicals title, Birth of a Radical Ideology or Identity, and this quote jotted me from my guest today, quote, is there anything in America that hasn't become politicized, unquote, Jack Posobiec asked. And indeed, really, there isn't that more clear uh, in uh, an apparent than when discussing the topic of radicalization. The article goes on to quote, AOC has spoken about how it's a positive thing that leftists have been radicalized in 2020 due to the protests and riots that rocked the nation in the wake of George Floyd's death in Minneapolis. But extremism and radicalization has been decried when it has impacted those on the right, primarily Trump supporters, as exemplified by the Capitol riot of January 6th. Mr. Posobiec went on to say that they want to put all these people into different buckets. Identity politics has been a tool of radicalization, and as it has become more and more part of mainstream life, it's at zoos, he noted, it's at our cultural institutions. What is identity? What does it mean? What is extremism and radicalization? The moderator asked. Posobiec pointed out the numbers of left-wing extremists showing that extremism has no partisan bias, and he's right. For him, much of the issue has to do with the lack of available mental health services. To quote Mr. Posobiec, censorship is driving people into social media ghettos, unquote. Jack noted saying that social media censorship funnels people into like-minded chats that fuel each other further and further into extremism. But the question was, quote, how do you prevent people from breaking free of that teamification of politics, unquote, Poso asked. It's not what's best for the country, it's what's best for my team. Now, we need to get back to the idea that it's not what can help my team win, but what are the outcomes you're driving for? It's a great piece, folks, and strikes at the heart of the matter that's going on today in American society that we have become and are becoming more extreme, and that extreme thinking is disintegrating the seams that bind us together. Those are equal treatment under the law, the common idea that our country has evolved to become the greatest of all time, the GOAT, and that all are equal regardless of the status of their birth or skin color or whatever. That's why I invited one America's news reporter, Navy veteran, film producer, and author Jack Posobiec, and dad and husband, by the way, to talk about this existential threat. Jack, welcome back to the Rob Mana Show, my friend. Oh, Colonel, thank you so much. Wow, what an intro. I, mean, I, I sound so smart. I'm like, I want to hear this guest he's talking about. Oh, wait, he's talking. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming back on. Uh, uh, we talked before the show, folks, and uh, uh, his, uh, Mr. Fasovic's family are doing really fine. They've got a young, uh, new youngin. Uh, just started sleeping through the night, right, Jack? 
the five month old has just started sleeping through the night. So um, the, the bags under my eyes, is not as deep as they usually are. And <laughs> year old, he turns three on Friday. You know, he keeps us running around like crazy trying to chase him down because he's at that point where he has this, this unlimited energy, which is amazing because he eats nothing. He literally doesn't think like, we can't get him to eat throughout the day. He eats like yeah. a couple here, a couple of bites there. And he just go, 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 go. And I'm like, Man, I can't imagine where he gets that from. I don't even know anybody. <laughs> well, well, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on with me. I know you're a busy guy, and I know you're still in the uh, the, the milder military op- uh, occupation up in Washington, D.C. Right. Uh, it's good that we can kind of chuckle about that, but that, that was a big deal and is a big deal uh, that I think I think will be part of our discussion, at least uh, uh, tangentially today. But, uh, uh, you know, yeah, I mentioned that you were a film producer, and I want to dive right into this cultural, I call it disintegration at the seams. Uh, you know, and you heard my intro, the seams that hold us together, the commonalities, you know, equality yeah. under the law, uh, equality of opportunity, doesn't matter where or how you're born and what you're born into, you, you have the same rights and, and, and opportunity and, and equality. Uh, uh, you're not guaranteed anything, but you have those no matter what you are. Uh, and it seems that the, the society is uh, moving away from that uh, very quickly, very dramatically. And this panel you were on uh, with this group, uh, uh, I don't think most folks that are really uh, have any awareness of that type of panel, the, the uh, myth and form panel I'm talking about up in Kenosha. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that a little bit, but, but also, Talk about why you said some of the things I mentioned in my intro. You know, what's underlying that? You know, uh, you produced a film called Antifa. Uh, so you have a lot of knowledge uh, from the leftist and anarchist side uh, of, the, uh, of the aisle, so to speak, uh, when it comes to attacking American culture and the things that, that, that I mentioned that, that are strong and hold us together. I mean, where, where do you think, you know, why did you say some of those things and where do you think we're going? Well, I, I, I appreciate that and the opportunity. And, and I also thank Myth and Forum for putting together the, the Better Discourse. It was really an event and this was just one of the panels they held there with some others that were on policing and censorship and various other issues that are going on, hot button issues. And what they did was they actually brought together uh, people from uh, all sides uh, of the aisle, you know, the left, the right, the middle, you know, the back, the front, the up, the down. And uh, to just kind of hash things out, and we sort of had some um, ground rules about, hey, no personal attacks. Let's, you know, let's let's actually try to have a substantive discussion instead of just mm-hmm. sort of the back and forth like we would normally get to on social media, which always seems to prevent us from actually getting anything solved because we're always too busy worrying about trying to, you know, win the argument, win the fight. But you know, what's your reward? Should be better policy and should be better outcomes for everybody, and. You know, when you look at the United States of America and the history of our country, you you really realize as you compare it to other countries in the world that it is something that's quite unique. The United States uh, came about through a specific founding, right? Most countries don't mm-hmm. have that. I'm Polish by background. Um, you know, other countries have a, you know, sort of an organic, natural, you know, group of people lived in a place that eventually they, you know, a kingdom, they fought wars with other places, they carved out their piece of the land, a piece of the pie, they defended it, and then through that defense, that 
you know, issued their national history as well as their culture, their heritage, and their um, and their ideals and beliefs. And so, mm-hmm. and that throughout history. But the United States is separate because it was people came to a country, found it or specific land, founded that country on a certain set of ideals, and then put them into practice and generated this this incredible engine. Um, and the, so the people who came here, you know, our our ancestors, all of us, or if, you know, if anyone's watching is an immigrant like my wife, they're, you know, they come here because they want to participate in this. And in the same way that we had those ground rules at the conference I was at and on that panel, I, those are some of the same ground rules we have here in the United States. Those ideas of, you know, one man, one vote, uh, freedom of speech, uh, the right to a fair trial from an impartial jury, the right to worship as you see fit, support religious pluralism, the idea of freedom of religion, that we would have a free press, that you would have media, uh, independent media, right? This, remember, this Thomas Paine, pamphleteers, etc. This country yeah. was founded, absolutely founded on independent media. When you see freedom of the press in the First Amendment, they weren't talking about, you know, the Crown's media. They weren't talking media, you know, the media of the powerful. No, no, no. It was yeah. the of the people that they were talking about, that there wouldn't, that, you know, this was the Stamp Act, right? The idea that mm-hmm. only approved media or allowed media, endorsed media, official media channels, right, would be allowed. No, 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 none of that. This was free media, free pamphleteers. Uh, the printing press was just taking off, of course, so the newspapers were getting started. This was the idea. Benjamin Franklin was a, was a newspaper man. He also did the, um, uh, yeah. or excuse me, the Poor Richard's Almanac. And, yeah. uh, you know, so many of the founders, this was this was very, very clear to them that this was the free exchange of ideas, information, back and forth dialogue, that as long as you can do all of that and treat others with respect, live by the golden rule, right, that we can have a very successful country. And we were the most successful country in the world until, and this would be my contention, that we started walking away from those, that we started mm-hmm. saying, no. What if we could just go back to the, the sort of team sports of, uh, you know, the old world and having pitting this group against that group and which group is the haves and which group is the have nots and how do we do all of these sort of group politics, collective politics against one another rather than getting into the individualism. And I do think mm-hmm. that I'm, and I'm not, you know, sort of one of these libertine guys who thinks who doesn't think that that there's any role for community, right? I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Christian by way of background. So, you know, we do believe in strong communities and strong families. And I do think there's a huge role for that. And at the same time, right, you want it to be as, as Washington said, you know, government is like fire, right? You, it can be very useful, but it can also be extremely destructive. So you want to use just, you don't want to not use it, but you want to use just enough of it so that it's beneficial. I think that's something that that we need to understand as well. That we can't use government to enact what, what they call equity now. So we can't give everyone equal outcomes because that's not realistic yeah. reality. And every time that that's been tried in the past, to use the power of government. My wife is from the Soviet Union. She'll tell you it does not end very well. Right? No, it never does. It never does. And I would point out, folks, uh, to our viewers here. Uh, uh, we can see the comments and we appreciate you commenting and everything, but it's this type of media that the founders were talking about, to put it in today's terms, the Thomas Paines and the Pamphleteers and the Benjamin Franklins, uh, they oh. were independent. 
They were independent. It's not the Crown's media, which is what I consider like CNN and even Fox News and the corporate media uh, uh, today is all pro-government or the other, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, and I, I think that what you're seeing now is that there has been, with the rise of the internet, and especially Internet 2.0, with shows like this that we're able to do, with conversations that we're able to have through social media, you've seen a democratization of information. You've seen a new blossoming of hundreds, thousands of different forms of media out there. That's mm -hmm. so it. And so for people that are in sort of these entrenched um, you know, kind of power chambers of the United States or of, of, of the world, you know, they, they're missing out because they, they used to have the ability to set influence, to set agendas. Lobbyists here, right here in the city of Washington were able to push forward whatever they wanted and they could spin mm -hmm. it, you know, that nobody would be able to question them because you didn't have any other options or because people who were asking questions were pushed aside through the power of what used to be called gatekeepers. Well, the, and there certainly are still gatekeepers. However, there are still, um, they are, the gatekeepers are diminishing in their power again and again as the new media comes along. And this is why they detest independent media so much. This is why they want to shut down and censor and filter because just like every other censor throughout history, they say it's for your own good for your own safety for your own betterment we have to protect you from the bad information that's out there because only we are the purveyors of truth and knowledge and enlightenment and we've seen this again and again throughout history and this is why you get they call themselves uh disinformation reporters or extremism reporters and this you know my actual piece was on and so when i said are we going to talk about extremism you go to one of these uh, groups and they'll say, okay, so let's talk about extremism. We're going to talk about the extremism of the Farrakhan supporter that just murdered a Capitol Police officer just, you know, uh, about 200 feet away from where I'm sitting right now, but driving his car at the building. Are we going to talk mm -hmm. about extremism of radical Islam that's conducted terrorist attacks throughout the world that continues to conduct terrorist attacks throughout the world? Is that the type of extremism we're going to talk about? Oh, no. You want to talk about, you know, the blue haired grandmas that were climbing the steps of the Capitol building and went inside without permission. And, you know, like that's some actual threat to our system of government. No, it's, it's very clear what's going on, that one side is getting a, and don't get me wrong, like I'm not like a January 6th apologist or something like that. There are definitely people who broke the law there, but at the same time, yeah. break the law every single night when they're going out in these cities across our country, not only with the lawlessness and rise in murder that we've seen that nobody seems to want to talk about, but also with these roving militias that we see in many places and sometimes armed now, increasingly, like we saw in Plano, Texas, we're now seeing across the South, we're seeing in mm -hmm. many major cities where they're going out, whether it's Antifa, whether it's members of BLM that are becoming violent, you typically see this at night. I saw this in Chaz last year when I went out there that Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, which was established in Seattle. And I wrote a whole book about this type of extremism that's going on, that for some reason, the mainstream media, the FBI and others do not want to talk about and do not want to do anything about. In fact, the FBI under Chris Ray, and I write a whole chapter about this in the book, I have all of his conversations with President Trump, where Trump mm -hmm. is talking to him about 
will you go after Antifa? Will you go after these groups? And Ray is just spinning and twisting the wind every time that the president asks him to do something about this. Meanwhile, Chad Wolf, the Department of Homeland Security, is asking for more security, more federal troops night after night for that federal courthouse in Portland. Chris Ray won't do anything about it. Now we find out that the Steve Scalise shooter, this guy who clearly was a domestic terrorist, clearly yeah. assassinate Republican congressman, was a far left-wing believer, believed in conspiracies such as the Russia conspiracy theory, wanted to go and uh, kill Republicans because he thought that Republicans were traitors. And again, these are all statements of fact. Right? These, this is yeah. not statements of fact. The FBI classified that as suicide by cop. They didn't classify that as domestic terrorism. So when I say that our institutions have begun to decay and that our institutions are no longer impartial, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And so Chris Ray is a big star in this Antifa book that I've put out. I can't wait to get a copy of it, Jack, because uh, you know, you're right on target from what I can see. And I've got a little bit of a background in uh, bomb disposal and hunting terrorists and at intelligence work and a little bit of even a little bit of cyber ops and everything so i don't get why i i just don't get it uh, sitting here my 59 year old uh boomer self uh why in the hell is the fbi going after uh blue-haired maga grandmas uh, uh, that trespassed. Okay. Yeah. Trespassing is against the law. And, and uh, like you said, we're not apologists for anybody that did stupid stuff on January 6th, but, but I demand that they be given the same equal treatment under the law that the people out in Portland get that are Antifa and the P BLM people in, Min in Minnesota get in New York city get, we demand that everybody is treated the same under the law, but, but they haven't found the pipe bomb setters yet from January 5th at the DNC and Republican National Committee headquarters. We have video of them. In one of the videos, it looks like the individual's on a cell phone. To me, uh, what in the heck is going on when we have that time? And that's a January 6th issue from my perspective. Why are they going all the way to Alaska to go after grandma and beauty salon people uh, who may or may not have done anything uh, violent or wrong uh, and, and these other folks are still walking free, and you know we have the intelligence capability to know where they're at, who they are, and what they were doing, and where they are now. Me, hey, just going into that pipe bomb incident where we can see the person, and I, I won't even say him or her because you just can't tell from these these images. But yeah, Washington D.C. Capitol Hill, there are cameras all over this city, and specifically. Mm -hmm that area of our city. The idea yeah. that none of those homes, that none of this area, that none of the police, none of the surveillance footage, CCTV, are not able to follow this person when they went back to, uh, whether they came from a car, whether they rode an Uber, whether, as you say, they were using some kind of cell phone, what was the phone, what kind of number it, it was on. It, it strains credulity to have us think that they don't have any idea who that is. And they're asking the general public to identify them based off of a pair of shoes that they're wearing, which mm -hmm. is the only real identifier that I can see in this video. It's, it's ridiculous. Where's the CSI 
where's the you know you mean to tell me there's no information whatsoever on these pipe bombs you know you you know eod much better than i do but i did a little uh eod uh, familiarization when i when i uh, was with one of the teams in the navy yeah and there's so much that we can do from a pipe bomb there's so much information there's there's biometrics that you can get there's fingerprints you can get of course the classic uh fingerprints which have been used for almost 150 years so the idea that they haven't been able to find anything about these you know where any of the components were purchased etc cetera, etc cetera, it really really boggles the mind the fbi more willing to go after this. And quite frankly, I think the reason that the FBI is doing what they're doing is to cover up for their failures, to cover up for their mistakes, cover up for the fact that they can't go after, they can't stop the pipelines from being shut down from cyber hackers. They haven't been able to stop terrorist attacks in years. They haven't had a significant terrorist prosecution in a very, very long time. The attack happen. Illegal guns are rampant in just about every single major city of the United States. Where are the FBI and ATF on this? The Joint Terrorism Task Forces that exist, 56 uh, JTTFs throughout the country, are not able to stop these things. And so they can, yes, of course, use a, uh, use a hammer and use a heavy hand and heavy glove when they need to. But when we look mm -hmm. at this case up in Alaska where they just went after these spa owners, and it may have actually been a case of mistaken identity. Do you know how they yeah. act? that tip colonel it was from a flight attendant right that was mad at him about some mask discussion they had and she took it off of a passenger well, list now from what we can tell reading the search warrant on all of this that this was not fbi biometrics facial yeah. recognition csi technology um you know the different uh, tv shows and the, you know the sort of james bond stuff mm -hmm. that yeah oh no this was a woman who had a dispute with a stewardess or, or a steward or a flight attendant on uh, Alaska Airlines. Then, and this part is blacked out, so we can only infer from the document that was given and was later unsealed, that, that, that somebody from Alaska Airlines, someone from that incident or connected to that incident, then went days after the incident, looked up a person on the FBI's list from January 6th, thought that it may have looked like this person and then gave the passenger's identity to the FBI, hoping wow. that the FBI would go after them. So that's what the FBI is doing. They're taking tips from disgruntled flight attendants. They're taking tips from left-wing Twitter and uh, Blue Anon, I call them Blue Anon conspiracy theorists. That's mm -hmm. what the FBI is getting their knowledge from. This isn't analysis. This isn't CSI. This isn't Jack Bauer. Right. This is go them going online or watching the Rachel Maddow show or having Joy Reid's followers send in tips and having neighbors and people settle petty disputes by trying to get them swatted by the FBI. Meanwhile, it, yeah, they say the classified subpoenas for, you know, like Rudy Giuliani and those kind of people that they're going after from a political perspective. Oh, of course. Right. And, and they'll tell us that they're going after these people in terms of national security, right? What has Rudy Giuliani ever done to damage our national security, right? Has he mm -hmm. sold Russians or to the Chinese or the Iranians? No, of course not. And it would be silly to even argue that. This kind of conduct is what is making the United States lose face in the international sphere. This is what's making us look silly. It makes us look like a banana republic. This is the type of stuff that you see happening in South America. It is not usually the type of stuff you see happening in the United States of America. And again, it goes back 
to our institutions and our institutions having this type of failure, this, this level of unprofessionalism and having a degradation from where they once stood. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's also what you used to see in the old Soviet Union with the, the uh, GRU and the KGB going after political opponents of whoever was either ascending or in the power uh, and those kind of things. Uh, you know, so it, it's very compelling uh, to uh, be an observer of this and a citizen in the United States, uh, still free from my perspective in our little bubble here, uh, but, uh, but watching the society just pull itself apart at the seams. Uh, you know, you're a lot closer to the generation that's growing up, that's, that's, that's coming of age and will soon be in uh, uh, positions of power much more so than they are today. What, what are their thoughts on this uh, as a group, Jack? I mean, I mean, are they worried about it? Well, you know, speaking of myself, uh, just generationally, I, I, I was when it comes to sort of the uh, the role between government and the people, right? You know, they don't have that this idea that the government is this separate entity. It's this the government provides you with things, the government gives you things. There's there's no set difference of oh well, the government is just this organization that sort of you know provides us with the backbone of our society that gives us courts that gives us basic public services. No, no, no. There's a completely separate um, relationship between the self and the state when it comes to the idea of the millennials. And then also the idea that the student debt crisis being what it is, you know, people have been told, people feel that they've been lied to. People feel that they were lied to from the idea of, hey, go to college, get into debt. You'll, you'll, you'll have your student debt, but you'll be able to get a job and pay it off and you'll be doing fine. You're doing just fine, right? That mm -hmm. didn't happen for most people in my generation. A lot of that is due to the financial crisis, a lot of that, that hit right in 2008 when many of us were getting into the workforce, a lot of it's to do with the credit crunch, all the, you know, Wall Street completely tanking and the government coming forward and saying, we're going to bail out the banks, we're not going to do anything for you. Uh, and meanwhile, in the backdrop of all this, you've, you've got the war on terror, so join the military, go fight in the Middle East, right, you know, for a country that mm -hmm. you've never heard of, that doesn't affect you or your family directly. Or you could go into the job market where there aren't any, <laughs> where there aren't any jobs. Uh, so yeah. myself, I joined the military and uh, ended up going to the Navy, right? I started with the focus on China. But then you all, you had so many people that because of the economic situations they went through in those formative years, they were not to get the kind, of, not able to attain the kind of wealth formation that the parents had, uh, whether Gen yeah. X, baby boomer generations, neg the, with negative interest rates being what they are. You are not able to get to a point where they could start accumulating wealth. Uh, so you're seeing the you're seeing more divorces. You're seeing people push off family formation into later and later in their 30s in many cases, not getting married, living with parents. All of these are due to economic issues. Now with the Zoomers, they don't have that kind of situation. Well, I should have said they should. They didn't at first, but now with what we're Wait a minute, Jack. literally what's today, a Zoomer defines so Zoomer. A Zoomer is born late 90s or early 2000s. Okay. So a Zoomer is like around 20 right now, 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, with, a, uh, with a Zoomer, or oh, 22, 21, I don't mean the year. Um, so with a Zoomer, they're now starting to get into that for their formative years through the COVID-19 mm -hmm. pandemic and the lockdowns and the massive, massive inflation that is just around the corner. So they're gonna have problems with wealth formation 
as well. But that being said, because they didn't live through 9-11, WMDs in Iraq, you know, this, these sort of lies being pushed by the government, the financial crisis, they have a more pragmatic look, I think, when it comes to things. They just want the volatility to stop. They don't like going to podcasts and hosts and TV shows where it seems like people are always yelling or screaming at each other or being, you know, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. They don't, they don't go in so much for extremism for the most part. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. That's good not. news. But, and it always will. Um, it's, it's just a question of what you do about it. Um, but it's also a question of, are you able to allow these societal pressures to be relieved through the process of democracy? And we used to always be told that democracy was a pressure valve. Elections are a pressure valve. That people feel like they're being heard. They feel like they're able to have a say in society. They're able to have a say in political life, right? The life of the polity. So they are able then to go forward and uh, know that they have a stake, not just a stake, but a say in what's going on. Right. right. Now, when it comes to when it comes to Zoomers, I've I've found people they like Joe Rogan, they like uh, Tim Pool, you know, they like a lot of these shows where it's not necessarily oh I'm on this side or I'm on that side. I'm just talking about the issues in a laid back, matter of fact way, Barstool Sports and trying to explain things from a good faith standpoint going forward. They don't like brands, they don't like corporate brands. And that's something I think is, you know, kind of uh, kind of gives me hope that they, you know, they have really rejected a lot of these, you know, sort of name brand, or we're CNN and we say this, or we're, you know, News Corp and we say this, that they just want to talk to a person perspective and find out what's going on. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't people out there on the other sides, doesn't mean there are people that don't fall into these, you know, different buckets. No, they, they certainly do exist. And uh, just on that question of extremism, since I did bring it up, and they mentioned it in the uh, the panel, but I don't know if the article got really got my full thoughts across. When they asked the question about extremism, uh, the, the sort of the lefty guy, liberal guy that was on the panel with us, I think he would describe himself as progressive. He brought up mass shootings, and he said, "Well, well." You know, d does political extremism lead to more mass shootings? And you could argue that it does or it doesn't, and it kind of depends on how you define the mass shootings. But we certainly know that there are mass shootings that are conducted by political extremists, and they happen, regardless of what you want to say about the number. And the thing that I will always come back to and say is, and this is where I got my response, that I think that that was poorly served, the United States was poorly served by the shutting down of our mental institutions from the 70s to the 90s on the entire public health system for uh, mental institutions for not making that available to people and instead going now to the more psychiatric um, you go and get your you know you go and get your prescription and then you go and then you're sent back out on the street model right there are yeah. certainly people and how many times does one of these shootings happen where you go back and you go back and they say you know what I always thought there was something about this person, or I tried to report them to the police. I tried to report them to the authorities. How many times, especially in, in, in some of these cases, like school shootings, unfortunately, right. that we're told that authorities did have them on the radar, but for whatever reason, nothing was ever really done about it. Well, if you had institutions where people could be cared for, where people could be given medical attention, could be given the proper support that they need, you would have less of an issue with this. But we shut them down, rather rather quickly and with a knee-jerk response to movies like one threw over, flew over the cuckoo's nest 
and uh, a couple various issues that were going on in certain parts of the country. And hey, you know, it made sense. Politicians didn't want to have to pay for it anymore. They said, not my idea. Pharmaceutical companies, of course, wanted more customers, wanted, you know, wanted more clients. The insurance companies knew they were going to get paid for it because the government was involved. So it just made sense. But the problem, and, and I think that not only is that exacerbating the political extremism issue, at least when it comes to um, mass shootings, but it's also exacerbating our homeless crisis that's going on in the country right now. That when you look at many of these cases, the people that are living on the streets are people that would or should be in some form of mental health care. And they're not getting that because our country is not making it available to them. So, you know, call, call me a lefty, call me a, you know, liberal if you want to, but on, on that issue, right, on that issue, mm -hmm. uh, that, that's something where it's like, come on, you, you got to do something here. And if, and if it makes yeah. sense for that to be a public service, then so be it. Now, maybe, you know, if it's better for it to be private run, but, um, you know, you do it like a, you know, like one of these charter schools as opposed to a direct government run, you know, what, whatever you have to do to make it, you know, to make it be safe and make it, you know, be, uh, have a, a, um, you know, a proper standard of care for everybody. We don't want these just yeah. places where you can brush people aside, obviously. But we I, I don't do think, it, I, I don't think most people today would call you a lefty for thinking that. I mean, I've, I've run I've run for office before and I've run on that as a platform that we have okay, dumped our okay. mental, mental ill, uh, mentally ill out into the streets. Uh, you know, just look at all the homeless areas uh, from the capital to Los Angeles and Seattle and Sacramento. And I mean, it's just it's crazy uh, out there. And most of that is a lack of mental health care. And when you think about the uh, the new the new uh, uh, the, the mass shootings at the school up in Connecticut, mass shootings at the theater in Colorado, uh, the 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 shooting where uh, Gabby Giffords was shot, all of yeah. those people were uh, under mental health conditions that where they were either being treated or had medications and were taking them. You know, uh, so uh, I'm not I'm not going to say that there aren't any politically motivated mass shootings because we know there are, especially on the jihadist side. Uh, and and uh, maybe Dylan Roof was one, too. Uh, but what I am saying is that uh, I'm in violent agreement with you is that we, we've got to do something. Does government have to have to create facilities and all that? No. But what government does do well is provide funding and rules that go with the funding and then enforcement right. of the funding. Let's make it happen. You know, it's just like it's like welfare. You know, the government giving people money doesn't work. It, look at what how we've destroyed the African fa African American family. The Black American family has been destroyed since the 1960s because of government policies. But there is a way to do it. Uh, Bedford Stuyvesant in New York, uh, Senator Robert F. Kennedy was a big advocate of that. The corporation still exists, and that was government helping uh, and entrepreneurs and innovators helping a community uh, become a community of small businesses that could be safe and successful. So there is a way to do it and a way for government to be involved. Well, and I, I totally agree. I hear Joe Biden today uh, you know, talk about the economic side, saying that, well, uh, you've got to get off unemployment if you've been given a suitable job offer, right? It's 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 like this, I, and this is my contention on on Biden. You know, people can disagree, but I actually think, I actually think that he doesn't understand that unemployment fraud exists in this country and is rampant in this country. How are yeah. you going to enforce that? 
Joe Biden, how are you going to enforce that if someone's been giving a suitable offer that they can't receive unemployment benefits? Anyway? It, does, it doesn't make any sense. People are going to figure out how to get around that because it's easy to get around that. Obviously, they're going to say whatever they have to say to get the money, keep the money flowing. And why is that? Because human nature is real. It is immutable. Thomas Hobbes is right. You know, this is why this is what religion tells us, of course, that, yep. you, you know, if, if you make this available to people, they are going to find a way to get it. It's, people respond to incentives. Simple yeah. as that. And so him saying, well, we're going to create a rule that says that they can't do that anymore. You, Joe, you're not going to fix human nature. But I, you know, some people think that, that, oh, he's doing this on purpose because, you know, he wants unemployment to be up. No, I, I actually think he just doesn't understand what he's doing. I think he has no clue what he's doing in terms of this, in terms of many of these things. I think he's someone who's just been, you know, such a Washington, D.C. kind of uh, uh creature sort of stereotype yeah. for so many years that he only sees things in terms of Washington, D.C. Uh, he's, he's been here his entire adult life. I mean, think about that. Your entire adult life being spent in Washington, D.C., having lobbyists tell you one thing and you repeat it for, uh, you know, for how many years, 40 years. And so it, it doesn't surprise me that he says these things that have been debunked thousands of times, literally thousands of times because he honestly doesn't know the difference. I agree with you. I mean, 50 years in Washington uh, makes you very uh, myopic. He's uh, been here since the last gas shortage. <laughs> he was here during the last gas shortage. He was right here in DC. <laughs> you down know, the street, uh, smooth offices. Yeah, and I tweeted a picture of a sign that I, I was going through a drive-through to get some ice cream for my son and my wife uh, on mm. Sunday. And, and they had a sign taped to the menu that said, hey, we're closed on Sundays. And this was not Chick-fil-A, folks. Hey, hey, we're closed on Sunday due to the labor shortage. We wow. cannot afford to stay open. This is a fast food restaurant, uh, wow. a, a mainstream one. Uh, and I tweeted that at Joe Biden because he had said, well, you know, our efforts are not keeping people from going back to work, which just common sense tells everybody outside of the Beltway that, uh, uh, that, that, that's just not true. <laughs> it's human nature. As you said, Jack. it's human nature. Uh, and you know what, uh, the government did this to people. I'm all, uh, this, I get, Plus, by, by the way, Colonel, about this. And, I'm and, all for the government taking care of people, but we haven't I'll, really I'll taken say, care of people. I'll even say, I, I'll even do you one better is that I'm, I'm sure I am completely sure right now that there are millions of people who are working, right? But what are they doing? They're getting paid under the table, right? So it's not on the books and that, and then also doubling up and getting unemployment benefits because it's so easy to get those benefits, right? And because yeah. the system is not checked, right? And so rather than sit there and say, well, we're just going to think our way into how to fixing it, right? You really need to understand that the, the incentives are going to be there because you put them there. And so unless you change that incentive structure, then you can't just come up and say, oh, well, we're going to fix it. <laughs> you haven't fixed it in 50 years, Joe, right? Absolutely. You have, Absolutely. To, get back, you have yeah. to get back to an incentive-based structure, as you've outlined. Otherwise, yes, of course, people are going to be responding to that because they're people. Yeah, and if you really want to know how bad the corruption is and the fraud is in that, follow a guy named Adam Housley. Uh, folks may remember Adam, he was a Fox News reporter, a baseball pitcher professionally. Now he owns a, a winery out in Napa, 
Valley, but he's following it in California. You can see just how bad it is if you follow him on Twitter. Oh, has uh, that been? I, I've, I've been, been, he's been, he puts stuff out every once in a while. Yeah, he's, he's following it very closely and he can't get, it's interesting because he, you know, he, he wants to just put the information out there and get the politicians to do something, at least acknowledge that there's a problem. And I don't think he could even get them to acknowledge there's a problem. And this is not just some guy uh, like me out there uh, yelling at the wall. I mean, he does really uh, independent fact fact based uh, reporting still when he puts. Right, what's, what's the Democrats' excuse for California? By the way, the Democrat Party <laughs> has. A super majority House and Senate, yeah. they control the governor. They've controlled the governor for how many years, right? That is yeah. the Democrat super state of California. It's also, mm -hmm. by the way, you've got almost all the richest people in the country there, the most powerful companies, right? You have everything you could possibly want, Democrats, in California, right? And mm -hmm. look, you're wrong. Not one of these guys who isn't afraid to criticize Republicans when they deserve it. They deserve it quite frequently. But what is their excuse? Really, what is their excuse for California being in the state it's in when it has been under their management for two full generations at this point? And people are going to say, oh, what about Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? What about Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger was largely uh, liberal in terms of his politics, even though, yes, of course, he was in the Republican Party. And... You know, I, I see Caitlyn Jenner's running right right, right now. Um, said some things that sound um, that sound more conservative, certainly on crime, but also said that um, that uh, I, th I believe the position was for uh, allowing illegal immigrants to to stay in a path to citizenship. Now, obviously, you know, governor of California doesn't provide for a path to citizenship for for anyone because that's that's not the role. But again, you know, clearly not something that a conservative. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, you know, as many, I, I see many so-called punditry in the Republican side excited about that run. And uh, I'm not excited at all about that run. And you're absolutely right. That's why Newsom's recall uh, is is on the ballot. Uh, well, I think, I think it will come down to name ID like anything yeah. else. And you, know, you, you, get a, you get a big celebrity like Jenner in there and you got to, you know, you got to think that that's going to be worth a lot of a lot of percentage points. It, it may very well happen. We'll see what happens. Uh, if it does, uh, it, yeah, uh, and, then, the, and the next we'll get Kim Kardashian running for president. Maybe she'll run against Kanye. Yeah, that would be interesting. And that would get a lot of uh, play, actually, in the media. All right, man, I would be remiss if I didn't turn this conversation towards a little bit of national security and the yes. uh, 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 subject partially of China. And we've mentioned China a couple times in our discussion here. Uh, but you know, you lived there for several years, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if I remember correctly, you speak Mandarin and read Mandarin fluently, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is saying something. That's the most difficult language to master that that exists, from what I know. So, so what do you think their their strategy is? Uh, their strategic. What what are they looking at strategically? Is probably the best way. Uh, is, I don't want to talk about their strategy, but. What are they thinking strategically? Because, I mean, you just retweeted an article about China has overtaken uh, the rest of the adversarial countries as, the, as putting the most into influence operations in the United States. So yeah. what's, what's your perspective from someone that's lived there, that speaks the language, that, that understands the ways of the, the, the Communist Chinese Party, which is really the adversary, not the people of China, but uh, the Communist Chinese Party? Uh, you know, what are they thinking strategically from the perspective of, sure. of achieving their goals? 
Well, sure, and it's it's actually quite simple, and and you could overcomplicate it, and I could get into a lot of you know yeah. intricate details, but you know the the fact of the matter remains is China wants the U China wants to be the superpower of the world, the hegemon of the world, and they want the United States to be in a vassal status to China. Uh, they they do not want to destroy the United States. By the way, as as some people might tell you, they don't want to uh, you know bomb the U.S. into oblivion. No, no, they want us to be their uh, their consummate consumers of Chinese goods. They want us to be able to be making just enough money that we can continue to buy uh, you know the big screen Chinese TVs, Chinese laptops. They you know, Chinese car parts that they put in U.S. manufacturers. I mean, you, you look at a U.S. manufacturer and yeah, of course it says Ford or GM on the cover, but how many of those parts on the inside are all made in China, right? You understand this, the way business works now. So uh, when it comes to Apple, et cetera, et cetera, yes, again, same idea, U.S. product made in China. So that's what they want the U.S. to be. And, the, and they, anything that gets in the way of that, whether it be uh, human rights, whether it be civil liberties, freedom of speech, or uh, <laughs> giving away the, you know, the truth about a, um, uh, a deadly disease that may or may not have leaked from your, your uh, BSL-4 lab in Wuhan, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that's just seen as priced into you know, the investment in terms of what China is trying to do, right? They want to progress at a, as fast a rate as possible. They want to be in the position where the United States was sort of at the end of the Cold War. And I remember you, you would hear many of these historians at the time or these, these great political thinkers who told us that uh, when the Soviet Union fell, it was the end of history. I'm sure you remember that, that, that you know, there would be no more uh, communism, that liberal democracy would sweep the world, starting with the Middle East, and uh, this led to uh, sort of U.S. adventurism in the Middle East in many cases, uh, this idea of nation building, that uh, we would have democracy would sweep the Middle East, democracy would then sweep China, uh, sweep the entire world, starting in Russia, Russia would be democracy, liberal democracy, and, and all the rest of it. Well, it just hasn't quite seemed to work out that way. And so with these international institutions that the United States erected and has propped up, like the United Nations, NATO, etc., the WHO, what China's done has known that since the U.S. shows deference to these institutions, they've done their absolute best to subvert these institutions, to go into them and to get them to do their bidding. The World Trade Organization is a great example of this. The United States allowed China in to the club and thought that being a member of the club would change China's ways. Meanwhile, China gets invited into the club and then they turn around to each other and say, and this is, of course, CCP leaders I'm talking about. So the CCP gets invited in. They say, look, they let us in, the fools. Now we're on the inside. Now we yeah. know what to do, right? And so, no, we're, we're not going to change them. If anything, they're going to change us. Um, and they have shown the wherewithal. They've shown the national will to do so in a way that the United States simply has not shown since the 1950s and sort of the post-war era. So China is now embarking on a global form of what we you, what you could call debt trap diplomacy um, in a way that hasn't been seen since the days of the British Empire, really. Uh, this is something where um, they will go into third world countries or, excuse me, developing countries, I'm not supposed to say third world countries anymore, and uh, uh, extend them lines of credit in order to build uh, typically port facilities, but in many cases infrastructure, real infrastructure, not whatever Joe Biden was calling 
uh, infrastructure, but roads, highways, bridges. Uh, railroads, bridges, airports, etc. And then when the country can't pay back, China will say, well, that's fine. Just give us some of those mineral rights over there. Give us some access to those cobalt, rare, those yeah. rare minerals. Um, oh, you know, you're you're a country on the uh, on the on the African coast of um, you know the Atlantic Ocean. Well, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't mind if we just brought in our our naval vessels to be able to port in your harbors and your ports that are there on the Atlantic Ocean. So I really do wonder it, what it, what it will be uh, that wakes up the you know the politicians in washington dc because you know that's that's where the influence operations are being targeted by the way it's on the politicians it's not necessarily on the people i think most people in the united states kind of get this and poll after poll shows um mm -hmm. that has vastly diminished in terms of their standing with with the american people and really with the people of the world um not to mention what they've done in india what they've done in europe etc cetera, etc cetera. but when you look at this you have to, and personally, I think that I thought that militarizing the, China, the South China Sea would uh, would wake people up, but no, it didn't wake anybody up. And when I was in the military, I was in the IC, we could see them. They're, oh, they're, build, they're putting the sand in, they're building the island. Okay, the island is built. Well, now they're militarizing the island. All right, now they've militarized it. Now they're running aircraft carrier drills with a fighter wing off the island. All right, no. Nobody's, nobody's paying attention to this. Okay, maybe when they start doing that kind of stuff off the coast of Africa in the Atlantic Ocean, right on our side of the of the hemispheres, uh, yeah. maybe that will start getting people wake up. But I really don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I think the politicians, uh, and from my perspective, the, the 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 big corporate boards and leadership too, I think is a target of their influence operations. Uh, well, not only that, because there's yeah. so, there is so much mercantile interest in this country in looking at China and their 1.4 billion population yeah. as markets for their products, right? This is, right. this is what Disney's doing now. This is what all the big companies are doing now. They're saying that that market is way bigger than the U.S. market. There are way more potential consumers there. There's way more money to be made. So what do we need to worry about the U.S. for? We can be based in the U.S., we can live in the U.S., but our model will be to sell into China. This is why, I mean, this and this explains everything you're seeing in Hollywood right now. This explains everything you're seeing from Silicon Valley, from the social media corporations. They're not interested in the U.S. market. To, to them, uh, you're an annoyance. You're a speed bump, right? You're 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 a pothole. Um, you're not some. You're not a sovereign nation. You should just be quiet and keep clicking on uh, on Candy Crush because that's all you're good for to them, right? They yeah. want to go into the Chinese market, and the CCP knows this is their this is their comparative advantage, and this has been the same way since the 1800s. This used to be. What China used to their advantage until you know until the Opium War, and of course with the British and everything that they did to open up China uh, through flooding the country with opium, then essentially declaring war on them, um, bringing them down. China spent a hundred years rebuilding, rebuilding, rebuilding. Now through the CCP, they are becoming strong once again, and they want to be the preeminent actor on the world stage. You know, the name of China in the Chinese language, uh, they call it Zhongguo which actually means the central kingdom. And in many cases for CCP leaders, that is how they see themselves. They are the central kingdom. This is how it worked in, in ancient Asian history, 
were that yeah. they were the central kingdom and every other uh, country or kingdom that was around them, the King of Korea, King of Japan, Vietnam, etc. They were vassals to the emperor in China. That is their strategic goal. And that's where they want to be again, only not for Asia. They want it to be like that for the entire world. Yeah. And that's the Belt and Road Initiative you described. Isn't that the, the term that's used for that? Right. So they're new. Right. I, I should have mentioned that. So this this sort of uh, debt Trump capitalism or mercantilism, international mercantilism that they call it the Belt and Road Initiative. And so this this yeah. idea of these this, these infrastructure buildings, these projects, mega projects that they're doing throughout the world are really in the developed nations, uh, South America, in Africa, you're seeing this Southeast Asia uh, more and more in Europe, actually, even in the right in the European Union, you're starting to see more CTE wow. money being, being get into the, um, the European Union. Um, the Panama Canal, right? The Panama Canal is largely many of the companies that run the Panama Canal are now in some of the, sort of these debt relationships, or if not outright purchased in full by by Chinese companies or CCP tied companies, right? So that's that's the Panama Canal. It doesn't get any more uh, Western Hemisphere than the Panama Canal. Well, uh, you know what though, uh, if you think that's scary, folks, Jack, what do you, what are your thoughts? I have to get your thoughts on this because I did a whole show on on the subject with a former CIA guy last week, Sam Faddis, uh, which I who I think you know uh, about yeah, William right. Burns being the director of the CIA. Uh, just in general, you know, I mean, he's a Chinese operative, from what I can tell, and that's just a fact. It's a fact that based on his background. And the Senate confirmed him with even some Republican votes. Yeah, well, you look, the, the amount of Chinese influence in the in Washington, D.C., the amount of Chinese money that's being put behind these think tanks like Brookings and others, right? You know, we're told, oh, we're just we're just focused on the, the studies. Look, China understands how our system works better than we do, right? Better than the American people do in many cases. They know that the typical congressman, the typical senator doesn't like to have to do their own thinking. They want it outsourced for them. They want to be wined and dined. And the staff in Washington, D.C., which has way more power than people realize, they want to be wined and dined and flown around the world and taken to conferences. And they know, and you see this with, with, with staff, you see it with journalists here in Washington, D.C., that if you can bring these people around and wine and dine them again, like like people, even like Tony Blinken, right? When he got his, uh, uh, as you say, his butt handed to him when he went up to Anchorage uh, by the CCP, who just blasted him in front of the entire world and told him him what was going to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. He had to leave with his tail tucked between his legs. He was sitting there scratching his head, thinking, "I don't understand. I've been whining and dining the CCP and their diplomats for so many years. How can they treat me like this?" No, Tony, you don't get it. They were whining and dining you. They were giving yeah. you a false sense of comfort. They were giving you a false sense of security. They were the one in the driver's seat the entire time because all you were looking for was for good relations. You and you talk to people on the left side of the aisle and they think they have, if they have a good meeting, then that's all that matters. Oh, we had a good meeting. They were polite, they were kind, we had a good meeting, right? They, yeah. they never ask for anything. They never ask for any tangible. They'll say, we brought up uh, cybersecurity. We brought up economic security. We brought up this, we brought up that. But they never actually receive anything. They never receive any assurances. And this was something that, um, you know, regardless of anyone's personal feelings on, this was something that Trump really cut through. He said, I don't care what they have to say. I want to see what they are doing. What deals are we going to cut 
what tangible goods are we going to see? What money is going to exchange hands? What, whatever it may be, whatever, what military, um, you know, diplomatic recognition when it comes to the state of Israel and the, the uh, peace accords he was able to secure there, which are, you know, you're seeing what's going on in Israel right now in just 100 days of Biden. Um, you can see the difference between those that prioritize sort of what I call word thinking, the ability to thinking that, well, if they're repeating the words, then that's, that's really all that matters as opposed to actually dealing in reality, tangible, concrete reality and understanding what outcomes are rather than just the, you know, kind of falling for the flowery language. Yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. You know, uh, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has, has come into our, our stock exchange. They don't have to, their companies don't have to follow the same rules because they got the United States to agree to allow them to be on this, on the U.S. stock exchange without being audited uh, by U.S. standards. Uh, and you can't even get a U.S. politician to step up and say, we're going to end this practice. Uh, oh, do you mind? A lot of the, a lot of the politicians and American city people. planners in the United yeah. States, they go over to China and they say, this is amazing. This is incredible. Yeah. Why you guys can build whatever you want. You can spend whatever you want. You can structure whatever you want. You don't have to worry about human rights. You don't have to worry about property rights. You don't have to worry about, you know, the eminent domain process and going through any of these things and having any public say on anything. You just do whatever you want. And it's, and to someone who is that sort of uh, technocrat, someone who doesn't truly believe in, the ideals of freedom and liberty or that people have the ability to you know follow their own best interests and that that will lead to a better outcome not only for your country as a whole but for your economy sort of in 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 short that uh it can be almost intoxicating you can be intoxicating that level of power that level of ability and capability that the ccp model allows and so you go to those technocrats and it's no wonder that they really come back from this. And we would see this at the American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai, where I was, that folks would come in, learn about what China was up to and say, my gosh, how can we do this back home? You know, you have to remind them, hey, you can't do this in the United States. You can't just kick people out of their homes, right? You know, without any good reason. You can't just build stuff wherever you want to. There, I, I actually, funny enough, right where I am right now is the, uh, I'm in that Northeast corridor. They want to put the maglev uh, directly under my house, right? Uh, and so I don't know what that entails. We we know there's we've had some public meetings on this. Um, I don't know if they're if they're they're talking about drilling it like 500 feet down. So I'm not even sure if it's something that would that would affect me. But I'm I'm thinking, you know, what what is that going to do? What's that going to do to the water table in my area? What's that going to do uh, to power to pipelines? Are we going to be able to live here while you're constructing this thing? I assume we're going to have to have people going in and out of it. Um, yeah, there's certainly a lot of electromagnetic radiation is gonna put all out twenty four seven. You know, the myriad issues. Um, but when it comes down to it, look, and, and by the way, I am somebody who who would prefer that the United States have a world class train system. I also know that you know, politics being what they are in this country, it just doesn't seem to work out. Just and then you look at California, it just doesn't seem to work out. Well, governments don't do trains well, as you could see by Amtrak. I mean, Certainly not. <laughs> they try, try, try. The post office, the same thing. I mean, there's a way to get it done and have the government be involved. Uh, it's just not the way that it's been done in the past. Right. Well, listen, Colonel, I actually have to. Um, I actually have to get running. I've got a, 
I've got a hit yep. coming up here for uh, uh, for the show. Well, thank you very much, Jack Posobiec. Uh, tell folks real quick how they can find you, uh, and uh, we appreciate having you on, my friend. Thank you so much. Um, uh, you can find me, just go to uh, on One American News, OANN.com, also AntifaBook.com. That's the new website, AntifaBook.com. The new book is up there. It'll be, be out in about two weeks. All right, sir. Thank you very much, and my best to the family, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much, Carl. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, One American News Network's Jack Posobiec, uh, Navy veteran, intelligence officer, uh, Chinese expert, really, uh, on the Chinese and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and, uh, and culturally, I think he's a, an expert on what's going on in American culture uh, and, uh, and other cultures around the world and how that is affecting uh, what we, well, my age and older, or maybe a little bit younger, uh, think uh, the United States will look like in the future. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the things he said really put some of my concerns to rest, but others do not. I wish that the generations could come together, uh, find some common ground, and come up with uh, solutions to address some of these things like the student loan uh, debt issue and those kinds of things and the forever war policy. Uh, that's what we need to continue to work for. I will do that as a citizen. I hope you will, too, uh, is to do uh, what's right for the American people and to heck with everybody else. So that's it for the Rob Mana Show this week. Until next week on Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I'm Rob Manus.